Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Fast am I and welcome to Spotlight here on Manx Radio with me, Sarah Hendy. On today's programme, we're at Mother Tees in Laxey for an exciting new exhibition. We'll be speaking to artist Graham Jockin and Mother Tees founder, Valerie Miller. You can email me with your creative news through spotlight at manxradio.com and catch up with previous episodes, subscribe to the podcast or find out more details on our features on the Spotlight blog, all of which are on the Manx Radio website. Today's programme takes us to Mother Tees in Laxey, where founder Valerie Miller has recently opened the doors to a new art exhibition after a rather varied four years in business. It's been quite a crazy journey because this project, there was never really um, a grand plan. It was all a bit of an experiment. I think one of the the most profound things of this journey is a year after opening, um, my health took quite a serious turn. So it's been uh, a, a massive struggle just keeping the doors open. And after the first year of putting so much energy in and kind of developing different aspects and different projects, everything came to a halt. Mm-hmm. So I've had so many things uh, on the back burner, you know, plates spinning, one of them being the art exhibitions. So I, I did start this in, in the first year, I think I had maybe four. Um, one of them was, was Graham, so it's, it's quite interesting because he, I think, was the very first exhibition we ever had in, in here. And now relaunching the space, he's the first uh, exhibitor again. So, yeah, moving into into the fifth year, uh, I've recently turned a big corner in, in my recovery and starting to, to be able to take slowly take things off the back burner and uh, and get things on the move again. So I think the getting this this space as a functional uh, community arts venue has been a, a very, very important thing for me and one of the the main things that that I wanted to use this space for and I know there is you know other gallery facilities and uh, and arts venues on the island but what I want to do is something a little bit different and that's to create something that's really all-inclusive so I want to you know be able to offer a space to the island's finest artists people who are you know, used to doing big exhibitions, but also for primary school students or children and adults with learning disabilities or additional needs. Um, and also I want to offer a free space. So I know that it can often be difficult to access having your own exhibition uh, for that reason. Um, so, yeah, I think something that I think a lot about in, in the art world where it's it's different to say musicians where you know I'm a performer and I knew I know I was able to develop my skill through open mics there's that platform for musicians poets you know you once you've got something to perform all across the world wherever you are you can find an open mic and no one's telling you you're not good enough you know you can get get that microphone you can access an audience um, and you can craft your performance and you can gain experience you can get noticed so then you know you might get booked and and be able to do to do paid gigs but for for artists it's not like that you know if you 
I know so many artists who have tried to, to have their own exhibition and they just can't, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I, I think it's really, really important to not only develop the skill, but also develop confidence. And I know so many artists who, if I, you know, I'll introduce and say, oh, this, this is my friend, they're an artist, and they look embarrassed and say, oh, they're not, not an artist, mm -hmm. when to me they very clearly are. And I think it's a bit like, you know, I feel like writers are the same, unless they've had a, a book published, they don't feel they have the right to call themselves a writer. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I think that's ridiculous, you know. I've, I'm a writer. I haven't had anything published, but I'm passionate about writing. I write a lot. I've produced a lot of work. That you know, that that to me, I'm a writer. If you paint pictures, then you're an artist, you know. <laughs> um, but I think having something like your own exhibition gives people the confidence to say, "Well, I am an artist. Mm -hmm. I have had an exhibition." And particularly if you sell something, then that takes the the person's confidence to the next level. Mm. So yeah, that's what I want to be able to offer, just that platform for people to come in. And I, you know, it's it's not just about producing the work, having an exhibition is having a show, and you have to think, what's the theme? Is there a theme? What will I, how will I do the opening night? And you know, will I invite media, uh, doing interviews, all of these things. It's a big, big experience to have. Yeah. And like I said, typically not one that's accessible to everybody mm -hmm. well i mean it's clear to anybody who visits mother tees that it's a very nurturing space it's a safe space um it's such a it's such a comforting environment so what a perfect place to kind of give people maybe their first opportunity at yeah. um at sharing their work but um but also um maybe just a different audience because the the kinds of things you put on here is real community stuff so you'd encourage people who are already already would consider themselves to be established artists to come and share their work in this space as well yeah absolutely i think it's really really important for me to create the type of space that that my i'm looking to it's important to have the whole range of uh, abilities and ages you know if I, if it was just doing exhibitions for very young children or um then it it maybe wouldn't gain the credibility or you know new people or young people and i don't want it to be like that i want this to be um a space that's taken seriously in the mm -hmm. art community mm -hmm. and you know what what a way to to launch then with graham's work because this is unbelievable um artwork that that are on the walls currently and it's setting the tone you know for yeah. this this is a, a space that is accessible to everybody the only rule um so to speak would be if anybody wanted to display something that was clearly offensive then i may say this isn't okay <laughs> you know yeah. however uh, controversial belief systems that I don't consider that to be offensive I think however I know there is many places that would be maybe a bit afraid to um, be associated with certain belief systems and and I'm not you know they're not my belief systems or they don't have to be my belief systems rather um, I think controversy is important uh, I think it's important for people 
to accept and understand that we don't all see the world the same way and that that's fantastic um, and just to create the space for each other to share and um, maybe challenge each other's belief systems um, you know share stories and and have that free expression mm-hmm. and that platform for that yeah which is what art is all about at the end of the day um, so tell us remind us when people can come and uh, and appreciate the work on display here so um, opening hours are Wednesday 12 till 4 Thursday Friday Saturday 10 till 4 and you have a you have a Facebook page where people can get in touch or find out more as well don't you yeah, um, so Facebook's Mother Tees, that's Mother uh, T apostrophe S, and all the events and information's published on there regularly. And now we hear from the man himself, artist Graham Jockin. And I just have to quickly apologise for the interference you'll notice through this interview. It does sound a lot like something cosmic is occurring. You've got such a mixture of work here, things which are obviously connected to what we've just been discussing, the alignment of the planets. You've got some really sort of spacey pictures here. Yeah. Um, how, you, you work mostly in acrylic, is that right? Uh, m- mainly in acrylic, yeah. I used to work in oil and uh, batik, but now um, acrylic is, is, my, is my thing, as it were, now, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for the most part. And as regards to some of these pictures that you're saying that... Um, What's the word that you used? Uh, I, I used spacey, I think, but otherworldly, cosmic. Otherworldly, cosmic, yes. Well, but actually, they are, in a sense, but also not. Mm-hmm. For example, the one that's just directly opposite us here, this large painting here, that's a map of the North Pole. Okay? Um, now you say it, I can see that. We've got sort of like a yes, white circle in the middle, blue around it. Greenland there and Ross Island and all the northern parts of Russia and uh, uh, North America, Canada, Mm. um, with the North Pole in the centre. And this is taken from uh, accounts of early 1600s expeditions by Norwegian explorers to the North Pole. Um, and they came back saying there's this huge magnetic mountain at the North Pole that is surrounded by fast-flowing rivers, which his ship was carried down, you see. And he, um, according to his accounts, he met the giants there, and the woolly mammoths and the saber-toothed tigers are still there. So it's like the last stronghold of raw nature, as it were. And this this mountain, this large magnetic mountain, uh, which is in the center of the flat plane of the Earth, um, is directly below uh, the pole star. And it's the pole star that is directly above the North Pole as all the fixed stars of the constellations go around that one central star, which is the um, Polaris, the North Star, is directly above it. And this, the North Pole is essentially a secret, and no one is allowed to fly there over what is now called the Dew Line, which is a, a sort of, as it were, defense line that was drawn up between Russia and America during the Cold War, um, so that 
neither side dare fly anything beyond this line, which is just slightly south of the Arctic Circle. Um, and this was to ensure, you know, that they're not sort of throwing missiles at one another, as it were, and for safety reasons and all that, but it's also to protect this sacred part of the Earth, which has been kept secret for a long time. Gosh, it's amazing to, to discover such, a, such an incredible story behind something which um, on the surface appears quite abstract. Mm. Thank you very much for explaining that to us. I'm imagining most of your pictures will have such stories behind them, um, yes. <laughs> even those that seem yeah, sort of simpler to the eye. They all have a story behind them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, this, um, that one over there, that's the flat earth. That's a map of the flat earth. Uh, with the depictions of night and day on it um, uh, in, in, in the form of the symbolic um, yin-yang symbol, okay? And that's, the, that's one of the many original meanings of that symbol, because the ancient Chinese were aware that the Earth is a flat plane. They were fully aware of it, as were most of the ancient cultures. Oh, yes, we have that one. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Um, so, so this is a this resonates through your other work. I mean, we've got a lot of landscapes here as well as this depiction of the flat Earth in the yin yang form. Um, it, t tell me a little bit about about your feelings on that. Um, well, I noticed as an artist two uh, predominant factors, if you like, you know, for a better word. Um, when painting a landscape, and that is diminishing perspective, the law of diminishing perspective, as things get smaller, the further they are away from you. They're not small, of course, it's just that they appear that way. And that um, another strong feature of all landscapes is that is that the horizon is flat. Mm -hmm. It's Obviously not flat if you're looking at a mountain range, but if you look at the ocean, uh, particularly if you, if you go, go down to the water's edge, it's a good way of doing it, and it's easy to do that in the Isle of Man. <laughs> you go down there to the water's edge and look at the horizon of the sea, mm -hmm. and then you ask yourself this question, what shape is it? Well, I can tell you now that you're going to reach the same conclusion and, as I do, and that is that from um, using our observational apparatus, as it were, as humans, we identify that horizon as being having three primary qualities, which is that it's flat, it's level, and it's horizontal. And it is all those three to the point of divinity. The landscapes that you have, they're really, they're luminous. You've got a lot of light working in there. Tell us a little bit about the landscapes you've chosen to depict and why they're special to you. Ah, uh, yes, the light. Well, the, the one above there, that's the, the moonlight over Ramsey Bay. And the one below is the sun rising over Douglas Harbour. And yes, 
the effect of the light at these times, you know, during moonrise and sunset and so forth, then the light becomes really special. Mm-hmm. And it's the painting of the effects of that light on the landscape that I've been concentrating on, mm-hmm. which is sort of similar to that of um, artists in the past uh, being able to paint the light in the painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I understand what you mean because that's that really is what you're pursuing, isn't it? It's the it's the way that the light is is falling on certain things. You're the painting light the light. Yes. Now this on to keep on this light subject, as it were. I couldn't actually remember the name of the period where the painting of light was popular. It eludes me at present. But however, the painting directly behind you mm-hmm. is, of course, of the moon. Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful sort of double rainbow moon with um, sort of a, a triple moon in the middle there as well. Like it's it, it's glittery. It's it's really something quite special. Yes, do tell us about this one. That's a, the um, the double halo, the double rainbow halo, which is a reflection from the dome of the heavens, and also what I painted around the moon itself are three as it were, bulbous-like circles around the moon, one on the top and one either side. And it's my view, anyway, that um, these are also reflections of the light, of the moonlight, in the dome of the heavens. And that I can actually see those white semicircles right next to the moon, with my naked eye. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first saw them, I thought it was because that evening I'd had a drink and I thought I was seeing the moon and sort of a blurred light around it. But it stuck in my mind, however, and then uh, when I was not not been drinking, uh, I looked at the moonlight again and there again I can see them. So I'm thinking, oh, this I put shivers down my back. I, I've never heard anyone speak of these light uh, domes, as it were, right next to the moon. But every time I look at it, it usually takes uh, about 10 to 15 seconds uh, concentrating on the moon. And that there you'll see them. They're right there in front of you. So to me, they are um, this, as it were, highlights... Uh, what some people have claimed for centuries, particularly the astrologers, and that is that the moon is the portal for incoming souls. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. the ruler of cancer, of the home, of motherhood, mm-hmm. of femininity, and this is the place where the souls come in. So to me, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't know if it's true, but it's. I think it's more than likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow! And it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful wonderful piece. Thank you for telling us about that one. And um, you've also got. I mean, the, 
the variety of work you've created is immense. I mean, it goes from um, really detailed and very accurate um, drawings over there of the Lady Isabella, the Laxey Wheel, and um, of Joey Dunlop as well, is it, on a motorbike, which is signed by him too, which is rather exciting. You've got a lovely picture of a cat there, and then you've got these gorgeous landscapes, which, um, which we kind of, I don't know, I feel like I recognise lots of woodlands and... Um, sort of cottages tucked away and things like that <laughs> this this one here is a bala frog in solby which is uh land that was owned until recently by my dear friend simon buttermore it's a very special location it's really lovely that you've committed yes, it to, to canvas the field with the, the, this has uh, it's just a field of flowers mm -hmm. uh it's a bit like van gogh's uh Mm -hmm. sunflower mm -hmm. uh, field but this is the manx version as it were yeah it's full of cushings isn't it proper cushion yeah. in solby you see that <laughs> it's right there oh lovely stuff and it, it ranges from this kind of really comfortable um really gorgeous uh sort of pictures that you feel like you could just step inside and there's one directly behind you, which is really fascinating, where you've applied oh, a completely different technique uh, to uh, a similar kind of landscape, but it's, it's got a yeah. very different result. This, this one here, there's a story behind this one, this particular one. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, as the, the building appears as if it's actually burning, mm -hmm. uh, because that's symbolic of the previous building that was there in Glen Helen. It was a wooden building in mm -hmm. Glen Helen, and uh, I painted this picture uh, uh, as almost like a lament for three other buildings, including this one that was burnt down, well, the one before this one, sorry, that was burnt to the ground. Um, and the, the other one was the Laxey Pavilion. Mm -hmm. And then there was the cafe at Glen May. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other one was the wooden building at Tolty Will. Mm -hmm. Now, all four buildings burnt were burnt to the ground uh, within a space of two years. And there's two here of yeah. Glen Helen, more uh -huh. of Glen Helen. Um, uh, this one is a silver light in Glen Helen. And this one is the gold light in, in Glen Helen. So we have those two there, and then there's a portrait of Emma Watson, which is she's hiding behind there. Mm. Um, and she's got blue skin, I can't help but notice. <laughs> yes. Well, you see, Emma Watson, um, she, or rather he, <laughs> I'll okay. just pause on that one, yeah, sure. that some people are saying now um, that um, she's actually a man. Okay. And um, has been chosen for her role in mm -hmm. that magical uh, scenario, the f films, Harry Potter films, yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Um, so I painted her tur turquoise <laughs> because I thought that might be appropriate because there's just something not quite right mm -hmm. about uh, Emma Watson. Mm -hmm. I. Um, and I think this transgenderism, mm -hmm. whether it's through breeding and operations and so forth, or whether they, they have sex changes later in life, 
or not. It doesn't really matter. But I think what does matter, and it matters a lot, is that these, these celebrities, as it were, are portraying themselves uh, as, in this case, with Emma Watson, it's a female, um, when she's actually a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, I think, is actually quite disturbing. Mm-hmm. But however, this, uh, I could give you a long list of people who are not the, s- the sex that they portray themselves as. And this is particularly uh, so uh, with celebrities whom the public are focusing their attention on mm-hmm. for one reason or another, um, that this is not good. Okay. We, we live in a, in a sort of more gender-fluid world now. Um, is this something that is, is of particular interest to you? Well, you know, man, it's like the Rastafari I say. They say they go down to the Babylon. <laughs> and this is what they want, as it were, the powers that be. They want to return to Babylon. They want the sexual promiscuity. They want the degradation of our own gender to come about. They want to see the thievery and rape and child torture. It's just endless in Babylon, you know. Mm -hmm. It was no wonder that eventually it was destroyed. But they want to return to this, you see, which is essentially um, Satanism, Mm -hmm. Luciferianism that which is intrinsic to all the secret societies. Mm. Okay, I understand. Thank you for explaining that. And so um, you you were going to just tell us about the the two portraits at the end of the room here. You've got um, another um, sphere with halos around it and then you have a blue at the top and sort of gold at the bottom and they look like they're sort of Mm. opposing elements. Well, this first one here is um, <coughs> it's uh, the planet Uranus, mm-hmm. um, and it's depicted in um, uh, the esoteric seven-ray colors. Okay. It's considered uh, in, in the painting in, in, in a Taurus field, mm-hmm. a Taurian field, which they say is in... Uh, in, inherent in all the disks in the sky, those things that we call planets, mm-hmm. which were once termed the wandering stars as opposed to all the fixed constellations. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's Uranus in the esoterically considered <laughs> seven ray colors in the Taurus field. <laughs> and this one, right, this one is symbolic of um, uh, the eclipse of the sun. Uh, the, particularly the symbol, uh, sort of black sun symbol, yeah. and the, the the is it the Hindu that say they call the dark disc that passes in front of the sun during a solar eclipse, they call him Rahu, the dark sun, mm-hmm. and this disc passes in front of the su- disc at various times during the cycle of the sun. And the, the central line, the 
mountains, symbolic of the earth, and at the extremities, the ice wall mm -hmm. that surrounds the flat earth. It stops the water running off the edge. Okay. <laughs> okay? This is the first question most people ask. Well, if the earth is flat, what about the water running off the edge? So I say, well, you know, well, how do you make the water stick to a ball? <laughs> you can't do it. You get a tennis ball and dunk it in some water, hold it out in front of you and spin it. You're going to get soaked, aren't you, because of the centrifugal force of the water. Mm. See. Global warming must be quite an issue to flat earthists then. If um, if there's this ice border around the earth, um, is, there, is there extra concern? Sorry? Um, I'm just thinking about global warming in relation oh, to see, the yes. ice wall around the earth. Um, yep. Is that a, a major concern to flat earthists? Uh, certainly not, because um, what's that chap's name? Al Gore, that's right. Mm -hmm. And he made that video, didn't he? Uh, which is entitled An Inconvenient Truth. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, what it actually is, it's a convenient lie, mm -hmm. the whole thing. It started as global warming, and then they went, whoopsie-doopsie. <laughs> they went, whoopsie-doopsie, and they said, oh, no, it's, it's climate change now. Oh, of course, yes, of course, well, that's because the whole thing is a pack of lies, mm -hmm. and they're just fear-mongering. Mm -hmm. uh, the the fear-mongering is the same with the, the nuclear bombs that they say they've got, mm -hmm. and they haven't. They've never had them. They've got some pretty nasty bombs, but those ones, the fat boys that they dropped on, they nicknamed it fat boy, uh, that they dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, they're not nuclear bombs at all. What they are, conventional incendiary bombs packed into the biggest thing that they could possibly make so they could, you know, so the aircraft could lift it the whole lot off the ground in a one air, in one bomb, and they just dropped it on the little old wooden town in Japan, you see. And, of course, it just set fire to everything. Mm -hmm. And then they say, oh, yes, they died of radioactivity and all this. And they say, you know, if you read about uh, radioactivity, for example, they say, oh, you know, the half-life of strontium-90 is 5,000 years, and the half-life of, uh, you know, plutonium-237, that's another 10,000 years, and all this, you see. So you think to yourself, well... How come all the people just moved back within a couple of years and they rebuilt the town? Mm. What, you know, where's this ah, shock horror yeah. uh, radiation that's going to last for this immeasurable amount of time and nobody can live there? Mm -hmm. It's because they're lying, mm. you see, because they, they're, they, you know, they're satanic, they, they, they're anti-creation, totally anti-creation. And it all happened with a big bang, you know, with Einstein mm. and all this nonsense. He's another pack of lies mm -hmm. you see and this is the, the, the prior to his arrival um the flat earth movement was growing mm -hmm. faster than what they could cope with so they 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 engineered einstein with mm -hmm. sir arthur eddington who was as famous as john lennon at the time um, and great you know uh, popularized in the press that they own uh, to popularize him so that when Einstein produces first half page of maths on a thing called the advance of the perihelion of Mercury, mm -hmm. uh, it was accepted. And the only reason why this that half page of maths was accepted was because Sir Arthur Eddington endorsed it. He's the guy that was popularized. So everybody said, oh, yes, well, 
that must be true. And then three weeks later, you had general relativity, which was born out of that first half page of maths. And then the end you had the icing on the cake, which is special relativity. And it completely hoodwinked every scientist in the world, every one of them virtually. There was some that were holding out on the flat earth, but it was overwhelming with the power of the press behind them. And this is the new paradigm for the new age. This is the new science. You know, we ha now have, you know, a big bang and it all happened by chance. No such thing as creation. And it just was a big whoopsie doopsie. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <And> it just <laughs> happened all by chance. Oh, yeah, what utter yeah. nonsense. Yeah. You know, if, if a person cannot see the beauty of nature and the way it's been created and how wonderful it is mm -hmm. yeah. if you can't see that then you're being hoodwinked by them thank you to our guests today graham and valerie do head along to mother tees to see all of the work that we've been discussing with your own eyes i'll be back next wednesday at half past five with more artsy happenings from around the island have a lovely creative week slen you <laughs>